0: Hi, and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. On this episode, our associate care pastor, Joshua Masters, continues in a series on the heroes of faith found in Hebrews 11. If you want to watch the video of this week's message or listen to this week's worship set, you can go to our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or find all that and more on our Brookwood Church app. We pray this message encourages you in your walk with Christ.
1: Morning, Brookwood. Look at all y'all out there. It is good to see you. I am so grateful that we can be together here today. For those of you who are here on site with us and also for those of you who are joining us in the online campus, we are so, so grateful that you online are here with us. and We're grateful that you here in the room are with us. Today we are continuing our series, our summer series called Believing God. And we've been walking through Uh, the heroes of faith that are listed in Hebrews 11. And so far, the author has given us 10 examples of Jewish men and women that are showing acts of faith in the Old Testament, in, in the Jewish scriptures. And now, as we pick up, as we prepare to pick up in verse 31 of Hebrews 11, the author of Hebrews is going to give us one last example of faith before he begins the summary of his argument. But this time, his example of faith is not coming from a Jew. In fact, this last example comes from a Gentile woman who was a prostitute in Jericho. And I guess that we could say that's surprising, isn't it? It's surprising that she'd be on the list, but is it? I mean, we've been surprised by a lot of people who have made the list so far. I think one thing that we're supposed to learn from this is that God builds up the weak to glorify his name. Let's look at what Hebrews 11 has to say about Rahab the prostitute. You don't have to turn there right now because we're going to mainly be in the Old Testament. It says this. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So a foreign prostitute found courage in her faith, and so can you. Thanks for coming. Appreciate you being here. That's that's the easy message, right? But Rahab is not an object lesson. Rahab is a human being. She's a person. And I think that it is easy for us to distance ourselves from Rahab. I think that we can say, well, she was a prostitute and she lived thousands of years ago. My life is nothing like Rahab's. Maybe it is. My hope this morning is that we can remove the label for just a few moments and see Rahab as a real person. Not as a character in a book, but as the real person that she was. As a person with past hurts and difficult choices. Because we all have difficult choices to make in our faith. Choices that require courage. And our theme statement this morning is this. Faith gives us the courage to do what's right. Faith gives us the courage to do what's right. Every believer is going to face peril in their walk with Jesus Christ. It might be a physical peril like that we're going to see in the life of Rahab, but it could also be an emotional peril or a spiritual peril. And in those moments, in those moments of peril, it is our faith that gives us the courage to trust and obey God even when our lives are in danger. So let's look at the life of Rahab. Now, our text from Hebrews 11 is just that one verse that I just read. So let's dig deeper into the story of Rahab. It's primarily found, the bulk of our story is found in Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. If you're using this Bible that we have here available at Brookwood when the bookstore is open, it's on page 180 page 180. But if you are in our online campus, you can simply click the Bible tab in your chat window and you'll be able to follow along there. So as you turn or swipe in your Bibles to Joshua chapter two, let me give you a quick recap of where we are, because this is sort of a prequel to what we studied last week. Last week, we discussed how faith makes the impossible possible. We saw how God brought the walls of Jericho crashing down when the Israelites marched around the city in faith. Remember that? And we left off with the Israelites charging straight up into the city to capture it. Now, we're going to continue with what happens in that siege. But before that, we need to go back to just before God parted the Jordan for the Israelites to cross over into the promised land. We need to go back to just before Joshua has that encounter with the Lord and gets his instructions. So let's look at Joshua chapter 2. Verse 1. Then Joshua secretly, secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove, he instructed them, "Scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho." So the two men set out, and they came to the house of the prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there the night. Now I know what some of you are thinking, but there—it's the ones that are giggling. Um, there is no language in the text that indicates that the spies went to Rahab's house to enlist her services. All the ancient texts indicate that Rahab would have been a prostitute and an innkeeper. So a brothel slash inn on the edge of town would have been the least conspicuous place for strangers to avoid drawing attention to themselves, which is what the spies wanted to do, of course. But that obviously didn't work because of verse 2. Verse 2 continues. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. So what's interesting here is this question. Could God have protected the spies from detection? Anyone? Yeah, of course, right? In a, few day, in a few days, he's going to tear this whole place down. But sometimes God will allow seemingly perilous situations to enter our lives so that we have the opportunity to exercise our faith, so that we have the opportunity to have courage revealed in our faith. Because that is what happens when we are drawn closer to him in crisis. Our faith is deepened. Our courage is deepened. So today we're going to look at four ways that faith gives us courage. Number one is this. Faith gives us the courage to bravely face obedient risk. To bravely face obedient risk. Verse 4. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close, and I, I don't know where they went, but if you hurry, you can probably catch up to them. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossing of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Now, I want you to understand what kind of danger Rahab was putting herself in by protecting these two men. Jericho was a morally bankrupt, violent, dangerous place. It was known as a city where every possible sexual perversion was available to you, and cruelty was the primary attribute of its people. These were people who regularly and routinely took living babies and sealed them in jars and then buried them alive in the walls of the city. No wonder God wanted to tear down that wall himself, right? So what do you think these kind of men, these kind of people would have done to Rahab if they found out that this castaway, what they would have called a dirty prostitute, had betrayed them? It took incredible courage to protect these men. It's the same kind of courage that we see from Christians in World War II, like Cory Tenboom, who hid Jews from the Nazis. Do we want that kind of courage in our faith today? Do we want more of that faith filled courage in our churches today? Because look outside, there's a lot of injustice in this world. There's a lot of injustice that the church could do something about. Are we willing to seek the kind of faith that risks our own comfort, even our own lives if necessary, to defend those who cannot defend themselves? Because, make sure you understand this, caring for those in this world that the world has rejected is how we show God's glory to a broken world. It's not by Facebook memes. It's by caring for the oppressed. But you also have to be careful. You'll notice that our fill-in this morning says obedient risk, obedient risk. The key word in making a difference in this world for Jesus Christ is obedience, not the word risk. It is obedience and the pursuit of God that gives us the courage to risk the right things at the right time. This may be difficult to hear, but the church is filled with social warriors armed with their own agenda instead of the direction of God. We have to seek God and then bravely take steps into the peril that he is leading us, knowing that he has a purpose, rather than creating our own agenda and expecting God to follow it. That's why the first steps of courage is always to seek an encounter with God before we act. Rahab showed obedient risk. But why? Why would a Gentile betray her own people for Israel? It's because she had already had that encounter with the one true God. And when she put her faith in him, she was bold in saying what she believed. So number two, faith gives us the courage to boldly speak of God's glory, to boldly speak of God's glory. So the king of Jericho sends warriors out to look for these spies and as soon as they leave, they barricade the city, right? So now Joshua's spies are actually trapped inside the city and they're hiding under the drying flax on Rahab's roof where they're gonna spend the night. Now try to put yourself in this moment They're hiding up on the roof. The spies are out of earshot. The king's men are downstairs. The Israelites have no idea if Rahab is going to betray them. And as Rahab chooses not to betray them, she has no idea if the Israelites will kill her to escape. Yet she boldly goes to the roof, completely defenseless, She goes up to the roof to talk to these two Israelite warriors. And for those who like Bible trivia, as a little side note, this confession of faith that we're about to read in this section and then in the following section, this is actually the longest speech given by a woman in Scripture. And it says this, I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in this land is living in terror for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord, your God, is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now having no idea if the Israelites will harm her, she goes to them and she boldly proclaims the God of Israel. And there are several very extremely important things about what she says here. First, If you go back and read it, her confession begins and ends proclaiming God's authority and power. The beginning and the end is proclaiming God's authority and his power. Second, two times she calls the Lord by his personal name. She calls him Yahweh. And third, and most importantly, Rahab starts her confession with the words, I know. And this isn't I know as in I had heard about this. The Hebrew word for know is yada. And it means to know by personal experience or firsthand observation. So her confession is actually this. I have experienced how Yahweh has given you this land. That Yahweh is the supreme God of the heavens and the earth. She experienced that. That's how her profession of faith begins and ends. Now, the middle of that speech is all about Jericho's position before a holy God. And every commentary that I looked at when I was studying said that the middle of her confession is a direct quote from Exodus 15. And then it also references Numbers and Deuteronomy. So the point is that she is using the language of the Israelite people. She's using language that the spies would have been familiar with and language that the spies would have received as God's word and God's truth. But none of them addressed or even mentioned What seems to me to be a pretty obvious problem with that. So, walk through this with me for a second. Who wrote the books that she's quoting? Was that Moses? Where did Moses write the first five books of the Bible? In the desert. When did Israel come out of the desert? They haven't yet. So how does Rahab know the words of the Torah when Joshua still has the only copy on the other side of the Jordan? I think, you read it, you decide for yourself, Acts 17, 11, but I think that that can only have happened with a direct revelation from God himself. God giving Rahab the exact words of truth that she needs to hear what she needs to know from God and the exact words that the spies need to hear. Look at Luke 12. And when you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. I think that that's what Rahab experienced. So, then why do we sometimes feel so hesitant to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Rahab was risking her life, but many of us don't even want to risk feeling uncomfortable. We are called to speak boldly of God's glory, but be careful. Some of us are afraid to be bold when we speak. Others of us are very bold, but in a very wrong way. I'm not talking about cramming the Bible down people's throats. I'm not talking about judging people. I'm not talking about spouting our self-righteous opinion on Facebook. I'm talking about sharing our own personal experience with God just like we see Rahab doing here. So here's a good test. Before we speak, before we post anything on Instagram or Facebook, remember this. A sincere proclamation of God's glory will always bring in awareness of our own sin and brokenness. A sincere confession of God's glory will always make us more aware of our own sin and brokenness. So if what we're about to say or what we're about to post seems to build us up or is trying to prove someone else wrong, that is never from God. Because you cannot glorify yourself and God at the same time. But if the words that we're about to say or post reveal our sincere brokenness, if it reveals how God and His grace has worked in our lives. That is speaking with true spiritual boldness. Rahab confesses the fear of her people and the condemnation that is deserved by her people, but she also proclaims the glory of who God is. And once we boldly speak of His glory, then faith gives us the courage to brokenly act on behalf of others. To brokenly act on behalf of others. Rahab, as you're about to see, takes action. She pleads for the salvation of her family and she takes steps to save the Israelites. But why the word broken? Why brokenly? Because in understanding of our own brokenness should always lead to a consuming compassion for the needs of others and when I say broken I don't mean hopeless I don't mean depressed I don't mean unhealed I don't mean defeated I mean an understanding an awareness of our own position before God an awareness of what our standing would be without the blood of Christ and the grace of God We continue in verse 12. But in this case, I'm going to look at the NIV because in just this particular case, the NIV is a much more accurate translation of the word-for-word wording in Hebrew. So she continues her, her speech, and she says this now. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord, again Yahweh, that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Rahab is very direct in her request, but she's also very humble. If you look carefully, she doesn't actually beg for her own life. She pleads for the lives of her family. Try to take this off the page. Stop seeing this as a narrative. Take it off the page. Do you understand the vulnerability of Rahab in this moment? Let me ask you this. Don't raise your hands. Is there anyone here desperately praying to God to save someone in their family? Is there anyone here who understands knowing that judgment is coming? And someone you love might be lost. Rahab speaks in her brokenness, knowing that she and her family do not deserve what she's asking for. But having discovered who God is, having seen who God is, she knows she can ask boldly. And we can too. We cannot be afraid to show God our true heart, our true emotions, our true pain. He would rather have an honest conversation with us than religion. And what do the spies say? These spies, what do they say on behalf of Israel and on behalf of the God of Israel? They say, if you don't betray us, we will protect you and we will protect your family with our own lives. Now we're going to come back to that in a minute because it's very, very important. But first, let's jump down to verse 15. Rahab not only acts on behalf of her family, she acts on behalf of these two men that she has never met. Verse 15. Then, since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Then... When they have returned, you'll be safe to go on your way. So, what we see Rahab do is she takes this rope and she puts it out through her window because her house is built into the wall. And she hides the spies first. Then she figures out how to get them out of a locked city. And then she tells them how to avoid the king's soldiers. She takes definitive action in obedient risk. That goes back to our first one. Hebrews 11 exalts Rahab for receiving the spies. And the book of James commends her for helping them escape. Look what James says. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. And James continues, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. In the beginning of our study on Hebrews 11, the text showed us that we cannot please God without faith. And now James teaches us that faith without good works is dead. Learn to do good. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. That's Isaiah 117. Listen, our good actions do not save us. But listen very carefully. If we as a people are not moved by injustice and filled with compassion for the oppressed and compelled by the needs of others, then we have to ask ourselves if we've ever truly understood God's grace in our lives. Because you cannot understand what God has done for you without having a compassion for other people. Rahab had barely met God. But just a glimpse of his glory in comparison to her own sin was enough for her to risk everything to save two men that she had never met. Just a glimpse of his glory. So faith gives us the courage to bravely face obedient risk, to boldly speak of God's glory, to brokenly act on behalf of others. But there was an even greater act of courage that Rahab took, maybe the hardest one. And it's going to be the hardest one for some of us in this room. Faith gives us the courage to blamelessly overcome our past. Blamelessly overcome our past. Understanding our brokenness to serve others does not mean we stay broken. God wants to heal our brokenness. He wants to replace the lies that we believe about ourselves and about the world and about him with his redeeming truth. And when he does that, then, then our actions for others will be based on gratitude rather than shame. We are given the opportunity by God for a completely clean slate to overcome our past, to stop blaming ourselves, stop blaming others, and live in peace. He wants us to overcome our past, but it takes courage. It will take the risk of sharing your secrets. It will take, boldly speaking, God's glory into your life instead of what the world tells you about who you are. It will take acknowledging your brokenness. But when we seek the courage, the courage of faith to do that, we'll find that grace has made us blameless before God. As we wrap up, I want to go back to Rahab's broken plea for a moment. Remember she said this, now then please, And that means, I I beg of you, I beg of you, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. I think this is the most important verse. If you read it too quickly, it comes across like this. I helped you, now you help me. I scratch your back, now you scratch my back. That's not what's happening here. This is a desperate, vulnerable plea for these representatives of God to allow her to change her life. She says, I have shown you kindness. And then she desperately asks, will you show me kindness? but here's the problem. The word kindness that's used here in Hebrew is chesed, chesed. And it is one of the most revealed or revered precious words in the Hebrew language. And it is very, very difficult to translate into English because there is no English word that really captures the full meaning of it. It means this. Undying devotion, loyalty, acts of kindness, so action, mercy, and a godly love. It doesn't mean one of those. It means all of them. It means all of them at the same time. And if you remove any piece of it, you miss the meaning of the word. So try to see this redemption scene in color. Try to see Rahab's heart. She has no bargaining chips here. Rahab is completely vulnerable. What kind of life do you think she had led? I'm not talking about her sin as a prostitute. That's obvious. I'm asking you, what kind of life do you think she's led? see her as a woman. She had most certainly been abused, both physically and sexually. She had most certainly been mistreated. She had been discarded and disrespected. This was a woman who had been told that she was nothing. She had been manipulated and thrown away and she had come to a place that she believed the only way to survive was to sell her body. And now she stands before the representatives of a holy God pleading for her family. And she says this, I seen you, please, I chesed you. I will turn my back on this life. I want to be loved. I will give you and your God my undying devotion, my loyalty. She makes that claim and then this broken woman who had been rejected by the rest of the world says, I will give you that will you have me? Will your God have me and my family? Oh yes. Joshua 2.14, the spies say this, we offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety. The men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. And don't get distracted by this phrase, if you don't betray us. That's a pretty obvious condition. The miracle here is that these representatives of God spoke on behalf of God's people and they vowed their own lives to protect this Gentile in the coming siege. What if that's the way the church approached broken people today? What might happen in the kingdom of God? And the word that these Israelite spies used when they said, we will show you kindness when we come into the land, is not actually the same word that she used. They used a different word for kindness, and the word that they used means true. We will defend you and our families with our own lives, and we will be true to you. How often do you think Rahab, the prostitute, had heard those words? How often have you heard them? And so the spies give her these instructions to keep herself safe. Verse 18. When we come into the land... You must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, your mother, your brothers, all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go outside the house in the street and they're killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we will accept the responsibility for their death. Don't betray us, and we will be true to you. She's instructed to leave the exact same scarlet, blood-colored rope that helped the Israelites escape, hanging in her window to the sign of the people of Israel and as a sign to their God. And all of Israel will know that the house marked by the scarlet color is protected does that sound familiar sounds a lot like Passover doesn't it sounds like the night that God's people marked their homes with the blood of a lamb so that God's judgment would pass over their home when it came now the scarlet rope is obviously not blood but do you know what else that word means in Hebrew it has two meanings it means rope and the word hope hope mark your house with scarlet hope do you need hope that someone's coming to rescue you so she agrees and the spies they go back They go up into the hill country and then they go back to Joshua and they tell him we were right. The Lord has given us the the land and they tell Joshua all about the faith of Rahab. So they cross over the Jordan. God parts the Jordan and they cross over on their way to Jericho and Joshua receives instructions from the Lord on how they're going to take down Jericho and as they're ready to go, you know what happens? They stop. They have to stop in chapter 5 to celebrate Passover because it just happened, it just happened to be time for the Passover feast. So as the Israelites are preparing for Passover, Rahab is preparing for Passover. She is gathering her family into the home of the Scarlet Hope. And then everything that we talked about last week happened. Joshua encounters the Lord, they march around the city for seven days, the walls come crashing down. And you might remember from last week that the archeologists have discovered that when the walls fell, they fell straight down, creating a ramp so that the men could charge straight up into the city. But there was another archeological dig of a city that hadn't been reached in the 1950s. And you know what they found? they found that indeed all the walls of Jericho had fallen straight down. All the walls of Jericho had collapsed. Except one small section on the north side. One small section that was saved, that had a house built into the wall. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city when they refused to obey God. First, God showed mercy when the walls fell and then his people showed his grace when they entered the city. Turn the page over to Joshua 6, 25. So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were hidden who were in her house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this very day. And in fact, Rahab goes on to marry an Israelite by the name of Salmon. We've heard Salmon's name before this summer. We only know two things about Salmon. First is that he founded the city of Bethlehem. And second, that he married, Ruth, he married Rahab, and they had a child named Boaz, and Boaz married another Gentile woman named Ruth. And they became the great-grandparents of King David in the line of Jesus the Messiah. God not only wants to hold you blameless for your past, he wants to give you a purpose in the future. Rahab was a real woman with a painful past and difficult choices, but when she encountered the redeeming character of God for the first time, she found love and acceptance and purpose and courage. Do you want more courage in your life? then the irony is you have to surrender. Surrender your old life, surrender your hidden past. Because when we come before God in our brokenness, and when you say, here I am, please, I have seen you. Please, God, will you have me? Jesus says, when the siege comes, I will protect you with my life, and I will be true to you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a God of restoration, that you are a God of hope, that you mark us with a scarlet hope. And Lord, we thank you for this true story that you give us to remind us that you overcome our past, you overcome our sin, and you use us to fulfill your purpose in this world. And I thank you that every time we see Rahab's name in scripture, it says Rahab the prostitute, not because that is her identity, but because it is a reminder of your victory in her life. Remind us of your victory in our life. We give you praise in the name of Christ. Amen.
0: Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so you can experience a transformed life. One of the ways you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. You can email us at connections at Church.org. That's connections at brookwoodchurch.org. Or just call us at 864-688-8326 to get in touch with our Connections team. You can also find our message archives on our website or on the Brookwood Church app. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day.